Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Wizards uh, Weekly Musings. It is a great summer day in Cali, and even though I only want to do one podcast a week, I figured I'd do this one a little bit earlier, um, so you guys can go into the week, you know, with a whole new set of information and knowledge. The idea for these podcasts are basically to do them, you know, once a week uh, for now, uh, and basically Sunday night, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time is when I'm going to launch them. So every Sunday, 7 o'clock, um, you should have a new new podcast for me. Um, this way, all of you have the knowledge for the week ahead and ready to rock and roll. Um, you know, I've been thinking about how to set up these podcasts, whether charge or do it free and so on. Uh, for those who want to support me, please go subscribe to my website. It's wizardofsoho.com. I post several articles in there to subscribers. Uh, there's a lot of market color information that I put a few times a week, and I post you know a lot of large scale articles uh, weekly as well. I have put two articles on how to increase your odds on getting into sales and trading, and another on investment banking that I've got a lot of positive reviews. It's fourteen ninety nine, and you know there's a lot of good content there, and so you know please subscribe and support if you like the podcast, and this way you know the content on the website is all premium content, and you also get to interact with me if you're a subscriber. Uh, for now, I'm not going to be doing any ads on this podcast, um, so you know it's a, a great way to kind of just support by going to the website. Um, the podcast right now I just recorded on my phone, but I'll buy some equipment to make the audio recording better. Uh, I think, yeah, the last time I did this, I was outside, so uh, there were a few people said there's some background noise, but this one, I'm inside, so let me know how the uh, voice quality is. Uh, the last podcast on the yield curve inversion really took off, and what's funny is nobody was saying what I was saying until the podcast, and somehow two days later, Brian Monihan, the CEO of Bank of America, said word for word what I said in my podcast. Um, sure, it's obviously just a coincidence, but it is possible his strategist uh, is someone who follows me. You know, if you're listening this time, next time at least give me a shout out on CNBC. Just, you know, or CNBC, just get me on your show. You know, maybe that's my next campaign, get the wizard on CNBC. So you know, go tag my podcast in CNBC's Instagram post. All right, so what's going on? So what do we got going on today? Let's see. Uh, uh, oh, for the wine to start, if you guys saw my story, I was trying to pick out a wine. I picked out a 2009 uh, Dom uh, you know, I recently started drinking a lot of like vintage champagne. Mostly to just drink Cabernet Sauvignon, but kind of moved to a lot of champagne lately. Um, it's really good, but it definitely needs a few more years before, you know, really becomes drinkable, but still really good. Um, all right, so let's, uh, you know, kind of dive into what we got going on today um this is one of the biggest topics in the world right now it's driving nearly every market around the world whether it's thailand inflation to south korean equities to good old you know american markets everything everybody have all the time is talking about the trade war so let's dig in you know real deep today in this podcast and how to look at the trade war and how to think about this on a bigger scale and a more thematic way you know, I kind of use this methodology and, you know, the word I'm going to go through over the next little while. And it's kind of worked wonders for my investment process personally. Not my PA, but, you know, the, the money I manage uh, and kind of help manage for, you know, people around. You know, as most of you guys know, I'm a fixed income uh, trader. And this is one of the things that really was my big um, uh, claim to fame this year and kind of helped me a lot with uh, my alpha 
just, you know, usual disclaimers. Um, everything here is just education only. Please don't invest on what I say. This is all theory and structuring trades on this knowledge takes a lot of work and experience. All the views are mine and mine only. So where are we now? You know, 10 year yields around 1.5%, 30 year yields are at all time lows. US and China are one of the biggest trade wars in a generation. You know, what God is here? Where did it all begin? To really understand this, we actually have to go all the way back to ancient Greece. You know, US China have been moving towards a war scenario for some time. You know, there are two, this, the, the, there's a great way in ancient Greece, uh, a really famous uh, author came up with this uh, concept, but it's called the Thucydides Trap. The story is a small one, but as China challenges America's predominance, misunderstandings, uh, about each other's actions and intentions could lead them into a deadly trap, which it has first identified by ancient Greek historian Thesidides. Maybe I'm pronouncing that wrong, but whatever. <laughs> As he explained, you know, um, it was the rise of Athens, Athens, you know, the capital of Greece, but one of the biggest empires. It was the rise of Athens and the fear that this instilled in Sparta that made war inevitable. You know, the fast past 500 years have seen 16 cases in which a rising power threatened to displace a ruling one. 12 times this ended in war, like an actual hot war where they fought each other. Of the, time, of the cases in which the war was averted, Spain outstripping Portugal in the late 15th century, the United States overtaking United Kingdom at the turn of the 20th century, uh, Germany's rise in Europe since 1990, the ascent of uh, Soviet Union is all, you know, very uniquely instructive today. Despite moments when a violent clash seemed certain, a surge of strategic imagination helped both sides develop ways to compete without a catastrophic conflict. You know, basically in the end, you know, uh, the Soviet Union imploded and Cold War ended without, you know, more of a whimper than a bang. The second way, you know, so now we've come back from, you know, a concept from ancient Greece. So we knew this U.S.-China war was going to happen at some point, and it's kind of materialized in the form of this trade war. So it's not that Trump kind of, you know, started this. You know, I'm sure he was a bit of a catalyst, but this was going to happen no matter what. Um, it's, you know, whether you like it or not, you know, it's Trump is the one who's dealing with it. And whoever's elected next will have to deal with it too, or they can give up. Um, but we'll get more into that. So the second way to kind of look, so now you guys can understand what's the background for this thing, like the theoretical, the more hist historic way, how this goes back to like ancient Greece. Next is something called a uh, war of attrition. This is a game theory concept. So, and uh, basically a war concept. So attrition warfare is basically a military strategy consisting of, you know, constantly belligerenting, belli you know, consisting of belligerent attempts to win a war by wearing down the enemy to the point of collapse through continuous, continuous losses in personal and material um, resources. The war will usually be won by the side with the greater, whoever has the greater resources. The word, you know, attrition basically comes down from the Latin word, a terror, to uh, probably saying that wrong as well, uh, which means to kind of rub or grind down um, basically opponents' forces in attrition. You know, this, the, the most famous uh, war of attrition uh, uh, example is the First World War when France and Germany 
kind of fought in the trenches. You know, they lost 250,000 people and barely moved an inch. Economists have used war of attrition to kind of explain why governments often wait too long before implementing the right policies. Now, this is probably the most ideal way, in my opinion, to kind of model the current trade war with a game theory version of war of attrition. So let's look at the game, you know. There's no good people or bad people in the, in, in the world of finance or in the world of game theory or in the f- world of war. It's just good players and bad players. And this is the game we're in. So what is the game? What are the basic rules of this game? It's simple. You have two players. You know, they're fighting over a prize. At any time, this, that's the first rule. The second rule is at any time, a player can concede, allowing the other player to claim the prize. And the third rule is there's a cost to each player for playing the game. So you have the first equilibrium of this game is the game is over before it even begins. The logic is quite straightforward. Given that there's a cost to playing the game, if a player believes you know, he's going to concede eventually, he might as well just concede as soon as possible. You know, what's the second equilibrium? The second equilibrium is a long and debilitating fight. And there's a couple assumptions for this. So there's a price to each player. Um, we can say that price is, you know, P. The cost of playing the game for each player is C. The probability of a player fighting in any period is P. Let me just get a little sip over here. Okay. So, yeah, the probability of a player fighting in any, you know, uh, period of this game is, let's say, uh, PP or P square or something like that. <laughs> So there's two strategies for the players here. Strategy one, if he decides to fight in period one, he has a player payoff on, has a certain payoff. The strategy two is if a player decides to concede in period one, then his payoff is zero. Um, the Nash equilibrium, and this is a very famous concept in game theory. If you guys watch Beautiful Mind, the movie about you know Steve Nash, one of the greatest game theory, um, you know kind of economists of our time. Uh, the Nash equilibrium uh, concept for this is a player is indifferent to what strategies are available to him. Setting the two payoffs um, equal to each other, we kind of have these further rules, or well, these further um, concepts of this game. So the cost of brinkmanship can go last, can last longer than what everyone, what is in everyone's interest. So this can basically go very, very long, more long like longer than what any of the players want. The probability of a player choosing to fight goes up when the value of the prize goes up. Very simple concept. If you're going to have a big prize at the end, the, you know, the higher the prize is, the longer you'll fight for this prize. That kind of makes sense. The second is the number of periods the game has been played has no bearing on the probability of a player choosing to concede or fight in any given period. Basically, if you you know, have been playing this game for, say, 10 hours or 10 days or 10 years, the number of periods, how long you've been playing it does not matter in terms of the probability of conceding. The last one is the probability of a long, drawn-out fight can be very high. And I'll tell you why. So there's math behind this, but I'll just go through the quick, uh, simple concept. So if if the price at the end of this game is, say, $10, and the cost of playing this game is $1, if the price goes down, the price at the end of the game goes from $10 to $5, but the cost still stays at $1, the probability of playing this game only goes down to 83%. So even though your ultimate reward has now been cut in half, 
it's not like the chance of you keep playing this game is cut in half. It only goes down by uh, 17%, which is pretty amazing. Um, basically means that, you know, the probability of a long, drawn-out fight for this game is very long. So what's the price? So what's at stake here? So let's bring this back. So then you guys kind of got the concept of the game, uh, kind of the rules of this game, uh, kind of the rules of the war. What is at stake here? Uh, what is the final price to the players? Why are they fighting for this? Right? Why is US-China really in this war? What is the gain at the end? So estimates have actually shown. So biggest thing is intellectual property. That's all. This, all this talk about, um, you know, um, what do you call like agricultural car tariffs, steel tariffs, uh, soybeans. This is all nonsense. It is nothing compared to what's really at stake here. I mean, the agricultural um, input that they get right now, like agriculture they buy from U.S. is like seven and a half billion. It used to be sixteen billion, but it's around seven and a half now. Who cares about seven and a half? It's a twenty-one trillion, you know, economy in U.S. Like you don't care about seven and a half billion. What matters here is the intellectual property. Estimates have shown that the IP theft from China is around 500 billion US dollars a year. That's 500 billion. Like, do you understand what that means? 500, you know how many walls Trump can build? He can build walls full of gold, probably a hundred of them with that money. You know how many social programs can be done in USA with even half that money? You can have free healthcare, free education. You can have a $10,000 stipend for every American. You can open all the borders for everyone because we'll have so much resources in this country. I mean, this is the dream for whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. And you don't even have to bring back all of the money that's being lost to them. You just bring back, you know, a quarter of it. I mean, bring back 25, 50 billion a year. I mean, that's amazing. So, you know, what, what is kind of holding back Trump right now? You know, so Trump is kind of in a great spot, actually, in this whole war. You know, um, he's got the highest approval ratings in a while. You know, an economy and stock market that's firing on all cylinders. Yes, the stock market's kind of come down recently, but it's still, at, you know, like a recent high stock market still at like, you know, I think S&P was around 2,800 last. I mean, that's still at all-time highs, you know. We're still adding jobs at a very high rate, 160 to 180,000 on average jobs per month uh, in the last non-fund payroll. Um, we had Fed cut. Um, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about that too, this whole Fed cutting thing. But this is the, you know, the impact from USA from tariffs is actually much lower than China. You know, uh, the estimates are around 0.1% on US GDP compared to 0.4% to Chinese GDP. So... This tariff trade war is actually way worse for the Chinese economy than it is for the U.S. economy. You know, the problem uh, with China with uh, Trump though is Trump has a large issue at home. At home, where he's fighting all these other fights with the Democrats and everybody else, trying to like you know uh, weigh him down, which is fine. Which is, I mean, you know, the Republicans did that to Obama as well. But he has he's fighting the war against China. He's fighting a war at home. So that's kind of you know doesn't help Trump too much, right? Whereas President Xi, uh, the Chinese president, he has no re-election. So in this spot, he's, it's absolutely amazing for him because he can just wait Trump out. The more it comes down to how much can they really wait out. The rhetoric at home obviously further complicates things you know, in order to find a compromise. Uh, Trump's been so aggressive that it kind of makes it sometimes tough to kind of negotiate with him. And then what's happening on the Chinese side, you know, China is trying to assert their dominance as a world superpower and has promised, 
you know, their people that they will be a powerhouse superpower by like the ultimate superpower by 2049. And there's a massive, you know, belt and roadway initiative going on with the Chinese government and several countries around the world. So not the problem with that is if China goes further into recession, I mean, they are already technically in a recession and they have been, um, you know, kind of doing a lot of stimulus, but it's not really working. So this whole belt, uh, uh, belt and Roadway Initiative they got going on, they basically would have to take money away for that and put it towards stimulating their economy. At the same time, you know, the people of China have been tolerant of all the rules of this authoritarian, you know, government on the back of the fact that quality of uh, living and income has gone up significantly in the boom in China in the last several years. Now, if the country falls into deep recession, there could be, a, you know, further revolts. We're seeing what's going on in Hong Kong right now. Maybe we'll discuss that on the next podcast. But, you know, the hawkish side of the ruling party of China doesn't really want to show any weakness to the USA. So that kind of makes it tough, you know. So clearly there's a lot at stake here, which kind of increases the final prize, resulting in a potentially long, drawn-out battle. Right, this is kind of what's been, you know, going on the last several months. You know, U.S. 10-year yields have gone from 2.75 to 1.65 on the uncertainty from slowdown caused because of the trade war. I mean, that's a massive move, you know. The quarter-over-quarter uh, quarter GDP is running at 4%, uh, approximately 4% for USA, but you have rates around 1.5%. I mean, that's insane. Um, we talked. I talked about this in the last inversion uh, podcast, if you want to go check that out. There are quite a few U.S. manufacturers who are starting to leave China to move permanently to the Philippines. And I was talking to, this is really funny, and this is one of the signs why it looks like you know China might be possibly looking to do... Uh, uh, a deal with U.S. at some point near because a few days ago I had a call with a a, a friend of mine in China and yeah, he's a pretty high level executive there and he mentioned that the state TV that you know runs a lot of propaganda stuff they were playing this Korean War propaganda movie every day for the last several months which is you know kind of like an anti-American movie and recently they switched it to a U.S. Chinese love story that ends with love cures all kind of message. You know, I don't really think that's a coincidence, and you know, it is possible that we see a deal in the near future. It just comes down to, you know, who kind of makes the concession. But this takes it to to the next thing, right? You see that you know, um, China kind of has so many, like they have sort of an upper hand, you know, uh, to kind of wait out Trump to kind of see if one of his Democratic nominees, uh, you know, comes and takes over. And all the Democratic nominees are saying that they won't kind of do the war against China anymore. I think Peter O'Rourke said that we should get out of this war. We should not be fighting China on trade. You know, they all kind of want to compromise, which is, I think, just nonsense. I mean, you will completely change America forever by bringing back all the stolen intellectual property that China has taken from us. I mean, this is like, I mean, it is unfathomable. Like I said, you will have free education for everyone. You'll have free health care for everyone. You can give the entire American population a stipend. I mean, Andrew Yang saying, what, $1,000 a month? You can give $10,000 a month if you bring, if you get this trade deal done uh, in the proper way. Not everyone's saying, you know, we're kind of taking this into a recession. Uh, the trade war is pushing into a recession. And we talked about this in the, uh, you know, I talked about this in my last uh, podcast, but... Why does why would Trump want to see a recession? Everyone's like, you know, we need to like not elect Trump because Trump, Trump's war with China is going to take us into a recession. But have you guys thought about this? Is something that Trump wants? 
And this is one of the reasons a lot of people call me the Trump whisperer. And I'll tell you why. I think this is why, you know, Trump wants a recession. It's because of this trade war. Um, the reason he wants a recession is because if we get some more rhetoric, more global slowdown on the back of this trade war, this will force uh, the Fed to cut rates. So they already cut rates once, even though U.S. economy is doing pretty well, which I mentioned in my last podcast. Make sure you go listen to that. There's a lot of detail about that in there. Um, but the Fed cut rates regardless, right, as insurance cut. Now, Trump kind of still wants to, you know, run, wants them to cut more because we need to have an equal, um, you know, economic stimulus as China's giving a stimulus. Like, so U.S.-China in this trade war, China is heavily trying to stimulate their economy, whereas we are going the other way. So it kind of doesn't help Trump that the Fed is not is on a hiking path or on a hawkish path, whereas the Chinese are on a easing path. So at least level the playing field. So obviously Fed is independent and they kind of don't want to. They kind of want to do their own thing, which is fine. You know, Fed is supposed to be independent. But this is why this is why I think Trump wants a recession because the Fed Powell has kind of told the market that he has given a free option to the market that if. All, they, all the Fed cares about now is asset prices. They care only about stock prices. So if the, that's why every time there's something bad happens, it's good news for the stock market. Recently, it's become bad news for the stock market because every time uh, the Fed, anything bad happens, people think that Fed might actually not cut. So they kind of hit the stock market to kind of force the Fed's hand. So the worse the stock market does, the better the probability the Fed will cut because this is what they've told the market. They've, they're supposed to be kind of easing or tightening based on unemployment and inflation, which is their dual mandate. But instead, they kind of seems like only they, they only care about asset prices, which is stock prices, and not about uh, you know the true economy. So in that case, you're kind of telling the market that your stock prices go down, you will cut rates. So Trump and Mnuchin and Lighthouser, I'm sure they... You know, and the other uh, economists they have, you know, they don't have too many great economists on their team. But, you know, these guys are pretty smart. Like, Manajin's a smart guy. Lighthouse is really smart. So I think these guys are like, listen, let's increase the Twitter rhetoric. Let's have Trump tweet out a lot of stuff to kind of take the stock market down and force Fed's hand. I mean, September cut is at 70% for 50 basis points. There's a 70% probability the Fed will cut 50 basis points. This was basically close to zero even a month ago. So when the Fed cut rates last month, they actually ended up giving a very hawkish um, you know, out, outlook where they kind of said that they might actually you know, look to maybe even hike down the line. I mean, they kind of didn't say that specifically, but they said this is not a start of an easing cycle. So obviously the market no longer was you know, keeping a bit to the stock market because before that, it kind of seemed like the Fed was going to start an easing cycle. So every time some bad news came out, the stock market went up, the bonds went up. So this is kind of where we are. And this is what I think, you know, this is why I think Trump is kind of, you know, pushing for a recession or, you know, this is kind of why I think, um, you know, um, it's actually good for Trump in 2020 because what I think, this is what my prediction is, um, is that he's going to keep increasing the rhetoric, uh, keep forcing the Fed to cut, and once the Fed goes in a full cutting cycle, stock market will catch a bit on that. Obviously, if the Fed says that it'll cut 50 basis points in September, stock market is going to fly through the roof. Obviously, bond market is going to fly up too. And you should see, you know, 
uh, steepening in the yield curve, but you'll definitely see um, the the stock market fly. So stock market flies, economy goes on an easing path, money becomes very cheap for people, the economy is firing in all cylinders again, and come January, February 2020, Trump goes and says, listen, China, let's get a deal done. You're going through a tough time, we're going through a tough time, I'm not going to gloat much about it, let's just get a deal done, and that's it. Now we get a deal done, maybe it's not even like the craziest deal, but he gets a good enough deal done, and... Right away, stock market goes even more gangbusters because now you have an easing cycle. You got this massive global, um, you know, uncertainty with the trade war that's no longer a concern, and you have a double bit to the stock market into the economy. And I kind of think this is what Trump's trying to get at. And it really seems like that the way a lot of the times where it looked like a deal was going to get done and kind of got pulled back. Because what is the incentive? Why should Trump get? Uh, a deal done right now. His re-election is not till next year. What's the point of getting the deal re- done right now if you are Trump? Really, not much upside. He'll get some news channel, you know, um, uh, good positive things about being, you know, being on the up and up. But he's doing great in his base. I mean, yeah, with Democrats, he's not doing good, but he's never going to do good with them. But in his base, his approval rating super, super high. His overall tr- uh, approval rating in the country is very high. And, you know, why bother right now getting a deal done? Wait till uh, January, February next year and then get the deal done. And I think that's exactly what they're playing at. So they're constantly getting the conversation going. Because, listen, end of the day, China wants to get this deal done. You know, they get it that, listen, they've been ripping off America for all these years. And they're like, okay, we, we get it. Let's just do a partnership going forward. You know, let, there's no upside to us just you know, having this as a one-sided thing, let's just level the playing field. And China gets it. And if you read a lot of like, you know, I read a lot of like local Chinese like forums, I'm obviously using a translator, but, um, you know, I talk to a lot of like Chinese strategists. And funny enough, and this might be hard to believe, Trump is actually looked at very positively in uh, a lot of circles in China. They actually think Trump is going to be one of the like, fathers of the modern Chinese economic policy. Um, I know this sounds completely ridiculous, but this is something that has been talked about a lot in the financial community, in the Chinese financial community, because Trump is kind of forcing this whole new economic policy uh, in China, and they're kind of, you know, taking it pretty positively that, hey, listen, we do need to get, like, some reforms done. And, you know, China actually seems to be pretty... Uh, forthcoming and like pretty positive that they want to get a deal done. The problem is some of the rhetoric at home has been a little too aggressive in my mind. You know, I think Trump definitely needs to tone down. You know, you can't be calling names to President Xi and then hoping for, you know, like, listen, this guy bend the knee to me or whatever. Um, the good part for China is that they control their media so much that they don't even know that uh, the people don't even know that Trump has been saying such bad things about them. You know, it's funny. Um, they on the Chinese uh, like web, there was a website where China uh, uh, some Chinese website where um, an article was posted about Trump putting a two hundred billion of uh, tariffs or two hundred billion products were going to have tariffs and some hundred eighty five comments by local Chinese people were deleted by the government because they didn't want anybody to have any oppositions or be like this is something again so you know clearly both sides want to get a deal done it's just. I think this is just a whole game that's being played. And I'm not saying it's a bad game. I mean, you know, Trump wants to win again. And, 
you know, he's a winner and he'll do whatever it takes to win. And, you know, you can respect that or not respect that. That's up to you. But, you know, in the, in the world of war of attrition and in game theory, there's no good people and bad people. There's just good players and bad players. Hope you guys uh, enjoyed this podcast. Uh, the next one, you know, will be a week from now. So again, you know, if you guys enjoyed it and want me to keep doing more, you know, please go subscribe to my website at wizardofsoho.com and make sure you go follow me on Instagram at wizardofsoho. Um, you know, I'm always posting fun stuff, vacation stuff. You know, I like to cook a lot, uh, a lot of steaks, wines. Uh, maybe I'll do a wine-only podcast one of these weeks uh, or maybe like an interweek wine-only podcast. Um, all right. Thanks, guys. Signing off. See you guys next Sunday, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time.